Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Well, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. Yeah. Also, Merry 12th Day of Christmas. I'm not going to sing it. I know some of you came back, you know, this week because I sang from day five last week and you were hoping for more. But no, we're not going to do that. Today is the 12th day of Christmas and what that means is on, on many church calendars, especially those that are uh, more liturgical um, in their church calendar nature, uh, today is Epiphany Sunday. And so being celebrated all over our globe today in churches of a variety of denominations is this day of epiphany, which really there, there, it kind of has two focus. One focus is the epiphany, and the word epiphany simply means revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus as the Son of God. And so there was an epiphany to the, the, the wise men. Um, it also gets, in, in some parts of the world, gets called King's Day or Three Kings Day. And it's a celebration of the interaction between the wise men coming to worship Jesus. Uh, th- that first, if you would, epiphany to Gentiles uh, that this was the Son of God. And then uh, also being celebrated at the same time is by many churches is on Epiphany Sunday is the baptism of Jesus. And so we're going to kind of pull from both of those today uh, and think about those celebrations and what they can, can mean to us. But what, what's real important to be captured by, I think, is this idea of, what, uh, of, of being revealed. And so I want us to look at kind of the first part of this celebration by turning in our Bibles, if you have them, and I hope you do. To Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to look in Matthew chapter 2. At what we understand to be part of uh, the Christmas story. Part of Matthew's Christmas narrative. That we're going to kind of continue in. And kind of bring a close to to Christmas if you will. uh, Today while also thinking about the new year. So if you have your Bibles. Open them to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to read uh, Matthew's account. Of the Christmas events. And uh, starting in verse 1. It says now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who's born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. Now let's stop there for a minute because here's what I want you to be captured by from the, the just kind of the opening there. And, and it's this, these wise men these men, these were men of action. They were men of, of resolve. Now you'll see in a second just more displays of that resolve. But right here out of the gate, we, we know historians tell us that these, these men, these wise men, uh, these stargazers, if you would, came from the east. And that phrase from the east, most historians and theologians tell us that it means they, they came from the Persia Babylon area. That that's where kind of their, they, they, they came from. And they, so they traveled hundreds of miles over desert wasteland in search of this newborn king 
that prophecy uh, that they were aware of had foretold uh, of the birth of a king of the Jews. And so they come riding into the capital city of Jerusalem. Very bold. Uh, they, we're told they would have probably had a very large entourage. There would have been soldiers with them. Um, this wasn't just you know three guys and three camels. This was probably a big deal. It would have been hard to hide in a city like Jerusalem. So they'd have kind of stuck out like a sore thumb. Um, but immediately it, it, it kind of feels like from Matthew's account that when they arrive they immediately kind of start in the street to, saying we're here we, we've traveled all this way to worship the new king born to the Jews. Now because they were wise men they would have certainly realized that there was a current king. And this knowledge of a new king probably wasn't going to set well with him. But that didn't stop them because these were men of resolve. They, they, they had come from great distance to do something, to accomplish something. And so these men of action, these men of resolve pressed in. And the Bible tells us that the, the, the current king did hear about it. He got really upset. The Bible tells us that the whole town, the whole city of Jerusalem was kind of upset by it. And so the king calls together um, his wise men, if you would, and they tell him where this, this king should be born. And so uh, King Herod plans this secret meeting with uh, these wise men from the east and pulls them in and tells them, hey, it's, it's Bethlehem you're looking for. You need to go to Bethlehem and when you find this newborn king, come back and report to me because I, I want to I worship him too. Now jump over if you would to verse 9. And in verse 9 we read this. After listening to the king... They went on their way. Now, again, men of resolve. They didn't, they didn't hang out in the palace. They didn't exchange niceties. They didn't, you know, they, they, they weren't in it for a relationship with a political leader. They were on a mission. They, they, were, they, they were men of action. They were these men of resolve. And so it says that after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house. Now, notice this. They didn't knock. You see that? It didn't say they, you know, they, they, it just said they, they got so excited. And I, I just kind of believe this is what happened. They got so excited over realizing that this, this one, this newborn king that they had been searching for, traveled such, he's in there, we're going in. And I think they just, they just walked into this house, you know, uh, because again, they're, they're men of resolve. And look at kind of how the story ends. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped. No abandon. They, they were men of resolve. They didn't care what other people thought. They just, they stepped into what they came to do. And then they gave their gifts, opening their treasures. They often gifts, offered gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They came and worshipped. They came to do what they did. And then I, I love the way this concludes. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. That, again, a demonstration of their resolve. They had encountered this newborn king. Th th these Gentiles, kind of the first encounter for Gentiles with this, 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 the son of God. And I believe they realize that they are connected to God now. And they're hearing God speak to them through, through this dream. And because of that, they're not going to go back and do what King Herod. Now, remember, they, they, were, they were not citizens of this country. They, they were foreigners. They, were, they ran a great risk by not heeding the word of the king because they probably knew about King Herod's reputation and knew that he had spies everywhere because he was so paranoid. 
But they were determined. They were men of resolve. And so they did what the Spirit of the Lord had spoken to them in this dream. These men of action. These men of resolve. Now, I want us to think a little bit about that idea today. What it looks like to, to, to live with resolve. And I think this is an area specifically that the Lord wants to challenge us all in today. And not just for today, but for, for this year. See, the, the revelation of Jesus, again, is being celebrated globally because, because of his baptism and because of this encounter with the Gentiles, being, him being revealed. And so one of the things that I, I want us to do uh, today is to think about Jesus' baptism. Now, we're not going to read about it. It's recorded by all four gospel writers. You could flip over to Matthew chapter 3 if you wanted to later today and read about uh, Matthew's uh, account of the events surrounding Jesus' baptism. We're not going to do that. But here's what I do want us to do today. I want us to think about baptism for just a moment. And here's how I want us to think about it. There are some of you in this room who have trusted Jesus privately. In other words, what I mean is you have, you have, you have come to understand that your sin separated you from God. And the truth about who Jesus was as the only son of God and the only way to have your sins forgiven. You've come to believe that. You've trusted in that. You've prayed and asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You've believed by faith that he is who he said he is. That he could do what he said he came to do. And you've trusted that. And the Bible says if you've done that you're saved. But here's what you haven't done. Some of you haven't taken that step to be obedient publicly in believer's baptism. And I believe that you need to be resolved to do that. The Bible calls us to do that. That for followers of Jesus, that is the first step to identify with him as one of his followers is to be publicly baptized as a believer once we've received him. So here's what I want to encourage you to do today. Because resolve is not about writing it down or signing up to do something. Resolve is about doing it. I want to challenge you to be a part of our baptismal service at the end of the service today. And so, if while I'm speaking, the Spirit of God pokes you and says, it's time. I know you've been putting it off, but it's time. Here, here's, normally, around River Bluff, here's what we do with baptism. We, we, we'd like for you to take about a 30-minute class so we can explain baptism to you. That's what we normally like to do. So, on a given Sunday, we ask you to, you know, record your decision. We'll get back to you. Somebody will call you. We'll set it up. We normally do on the first Sunday of the month. So, that's the, our normal state. We're, we're, we're throwing that out today. Today we're going uh, Acts 8. And basically what happened in Acts 8 with baptism, a guy came to saving knowledge of Jesus. The first puddle that they found that was deep enough to get baptized in, they baptized. So we're doing Acts 8 today. So if the spirit of the living God stirs in your heart to follow Jesus in baptism, our baptism team knew I was going to do this, so they prepared. They've got extra clothes for you to get baptized in, shorts and shirts. They've got, they, they purchased new undergarments for you to wear. Um, they are prepared. So here's the deal. There's no excuse for you not to be resolved to follow Christ in baptism today. None, if you need to do that. Okay. Yeah, praise, praise the Lord and thank God for our baptism team. 
So here's what I just want to tell you. If while I'm talking today, you just sense, today's the day. i got to do this. I'm supposed to do this today. If you'll just head to the living room, some of our elders, their wives, some of our staff would be in there. They will help you get prepared, take you back to the baptism team to follow through with believer's baptism. And we're going to close our service that way today. Okay? So just kind of know that. So we're thinking both about the wise men and baptism. We're thinking about resolve. Now, I, I want to do that in connection with what goes on in our culture. Because at this time of year in our culture, there's another word that people kind of get caught up with. And it's this, this word resolution. You know? And so we, 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 we do these. We make these resolutions. And I don't know how it's working for you. I'm, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand to discover how many of you have already blown your resolution for the new year. You know? We're, what, six days in? And some of us have, you know? Um, some, some of us, you know, we really struggle with this. We, 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 we think, you know, I'm, I'm not even going to do that again this year because I've, I've made that mistake. Now, here's the truth. One of the things I've discovered as I've grown older is there are just some things about me that I can't change. And I'm just having to learn to accept them. For instance, I've recently just come to accept the fact that I'll never be six foot tall. Just recently come to, you know, it's not going to happen for me no matter how hard I've tried, you know, calf stretches, you know, it, it, it doesn't change a thing. So I've just resolved there's some things that, you know, I'm not going to change about myself. And I imagine there's some things you've probably gotten to, a place where you just kind of resolved, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to change this about me. And um, I think if all of us, in a moment of honesty, would really answer the question deeply, that all of us would probably say, um, you know, I'm, I've just kind of resolved that I'm going to have to live with some regret. Just some things that I live with that, that regret. And, you know, this time of year, it's hard not to look back on 2018 and look back and see some of the regrets, you know. And some of them are just those, most all of us live with daily regrets, you know, just kind of goofy decisions that we make, like, you know, ordering that bean burrito combo. Whew. You know, that may not have been such a great decision. I might regret that. You know, or, or, you know, having stayed up late one night and that Ginzu knife commercial come on and you, you make the call. You know, you might, you might regret. There are a lot of these little, just little piddly things that, you know, we, we, we end up regretting. You know, maybe, maybe you made the fatal mistake of giving your spouse a, a gym membership for Christmas. You know, I, I know a guy who's living with two years of regret from having done that. You just, these, these, those kinds of regrets. But then there, then there are those regrets that, that, that are more significant, that seem to kind of haunt us. And I want us to think about these in this context of resolve. And there is a, a, one, a guy who wrote so much of the New Testament that I want us to look at his life for a few moments today. Because if there's anybody who could have allowed his past, if he could have allowed regrets to rob him of joy in what God had stored in store for him. In what God had planned and awaiting for him in the new year and the new years ahead. If anybody could have been trapped by regret, it, it would have been the Apostle Paul. But he did not live with regret. He lived with incredible resolve. I would say even more resolve than, than the wise men displayed. This guy lived with incredible resolve. He became resolved and committed his life to build the church of God on the earth. 
To partner with God to build this movement, this kingdom movement. And he spent his life advancing the church. But many of you know that before he became a Christian, he persecuted the church. That Paul was actually at the forefront of the movement of killing Christians. His purpose in life was to stamp out Christianity. Wipe it out. That's what he wanted to do. And, you know, Paul was right there on the front lines when the first believer was martyred. The first recorded believer was martyred, Stephen, when he was stoned to death. And so, Paul would have been this guy that if, if, it was, if you were able to live with regrets and let them just kind of paralyze you, Paul, Paul could have been that guy. He could have been a prisoner of his regrets. And I'm guessing that you may have some regrets that you're living with. Something that you still carry around. Some things that you wouldn't necessarily want to share and get them attached to you. I don't know if you know this, but there's actually a website called secretregrets.com. And people have gone on there and anonymously posted things they've never told anybody, but they, they post these, these secret regrets. There's over 30,000 hits on that of people who have made these posts. And I just want to read a few of them to you. Uh, one person wrote, I, I regret connecting with you on Facebook because now I see your life without me every time you post an update. So I regret that. It says, I regret when you were a baby and I was 18 and my boyfriend was violent and I was too scared to stand up for you and me and they took you away. And that was 20 years ago and I think about you every day. I regret that. I regret that we are $50,000 in debt, not including the house and cars and that you hate your job so much. And if we didn't have the debt, I could support you, but instead you have to work. Another said, I regret complaining about us walking too slowly and you leaning on me for balance. It was so much harder for you because you were handicapped and I was just a kid, but now I'm sorry, Mom. I regret that I never told you kids that I love you when you were growing up and I regret that for some reason I still cannot say those words. And the, the list goes on. One person wrote, I regret that I, I gave you my heart when all you wanted was my body. Another said, I regret that I never told you how I really felt. Another said, I regret that I never fought for us. Just people whose lives are filled with regrets. Wishing that they could have done something different. Or hadn't done certain things that they had done. And many of us know the reality that sometimes those regrets can be paralyzing. They can almost be disabling. So, so what's, what's kind of the normal human response to regrets? I, I think there's two. I, I think one, one human response to regret is to do nothing. And to just stay stuck in the past. Just, just kind of live back there. Another response is something that we do at this time of the year. And that is, we make resolutions. We, we, we write something down. You know? We think about it for a minute. Wouldn't you say most resolutions that get written down like that are actually birthed out of some kind of regret? For instance, you may, you know, have written down a resolution. I'm, I'm going to live with more patience this year. Well, why'd you write that down? Well, probably because you regret having raised your voice so many times with a spouse or a family member. Or maybe you're writing down this resolution that you want to live with more joy. And the reason that you made that resolution is because you regret the numbers of mornings that you woke up in a bad mood and you wrecked the day for everybody else. 
So you just said, I want to live with more joy. Or maybe you made the resolution this year that you want to be more disciplined in your finances. Well, why do we make that resolution? Well, because we live with the regret that of our finances last year and the year before that and the year before that. You know, so we, 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 we write these things down. We tend to do this a great deal with these, what I'll call higher level regrets. We come up with these resolutions. And then we, you know, we start living them out or, or trying to. Try, trying to, to live them out, you know. We commit to do things differently. And we have these regrets, so we come up with resolutions. Things we regret about 2018, so we want to see different in 2019. So we determine that we're going to behave differently. Or we determine that there's going to be a different kind of character coming out of this body this coming year. But then what happens? They slowly kind of fade away. You know, most of us would have to admit that we've made resolutions and not kept them. Maybe, maybe you wrote down some resolutions for this year and they were an echo of resolutions past. I don't know if you've ever done that. Maybe some of you, what you did was you pulled your 2018 resolutions out and just changed the date on the top. You know, just said, we're going we're to do that over, you know. And that, that happens so very often when it comes to resolutions is that they, we end up with even more regret. Because we were, we were unable to keep that. And so today, I, wanna, I want us to think about not living with regret and not living with resolutions, but, but living, living with resolve. I want us to think a little bit about that. Now, one of the ways I want us to do that, again, is look, at, look to Paul because Paul sent to the church at Philippi his secret, if you would, for living life out of resolve instead of resolutions or, or out of regret. And so he writes to this church and in Philippi, one of the things you'll study that book, you'll, that letter you'll discover, that there were a lot of false teachers who had shown up in Philippi. And they were proclaiming Christ and they were taking these new converts and they were teaching them false teachings. They were, they were teaching them a, a false understanding of, of Christianity. Basically, if you were to create an equation, their Christianity would look like this. Christianity equals Jesus plus resolutions. That would be the Judaizers version of Christianity. Christianity equals Jesus plus resolutions. And it's about Jesus, but then it's about making all these decisions about your behavior. Things you need to do differently in order to, you know, really be a Christian. That it's Jesus plus your legalistic work, your efforts to save yourselves. It's Jesus, you know, doing that. And they begin to live with lots of regrets. And so Paul comes in and he's addressing this in Philippians chapter 3. And this is how he starts off. Philippians chapter 3 verse 2. He says this. Look out for the dogs. Now he's not talking about sweet little puppy dogs. He's talking about the Judaizers. These false teachers. He, he says look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Because they were, this is what they were teaching. Here's what they were teaching. He were, they, were, they were coming into town and they were saying, Okay, now you Gentiles who have become Christian, you weren't born Jews and so you weren't circumcised on the eighth day and you weren't doing this and you weren't doing that. You got to start doing all that. You got, you, you got to start doing all that. They said, Yes, you need Jesus, but you need all this other stuff. And Paul, Paul's, Paul calls them dogs. He calls them dogs for doing that. I mean, he's going, he says they're just mutilators. 
That's, that's what these people are. Because they're putting all of this emphasis on what you do instead of what Jesus has done. Everything about their faith was about what they need to do. You know, what you need to do. And so, here's, here's an equation that will wreck your faith. If your equation, if your understanding about Christianity is this, Jesus plus this equals Christianity. You are, you are in trouble. You're, you're, you're based your faith on something that's going to prove disastrous for you. Because it's not Jesus plus anything. Anytime it's Jesus plus something else that you're going to do differently. Jesus plus something you're going to handle. Jesus plus some work that will make you right with God. Anytime you do that, you're missing the message of Jesus. Because Jesus said it's not something else. It's just, it's just me. So Paul is addressing this mindset when he writes in this letter. And so he starts pushing in and saying, folks, it's not about these, these resolutions that you can come up with in the flesh. And he, he begins going after this. Paul, Paul begins correcting this error. And the way that Paul sets about to correct the error is by showing them his impressive list. And so Paul in Philippians chapter 3 says, let me show you a list of impressive resolutions that I made and I kept. And so, in, in verse 4 of Philippians 3, this is what Paul does. He starts out, it says, If anybody else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He's basically saying, if anybody has the right to kind of say, Hey, I made some really awesome resolutions and I've kept them. Paul's doing that. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, I persecuted the church. As to righteousness under the law I was blameless some translations use the word flawless he said I did it it perfectly and so Paul pushes out and shows his incredible list of resolutions that he has kept and I want to point out a couple of them because they're important Paul first talks about he was brought up the right way he was brought up in the right kind of family. He was born in the right kind of family. He was, not only was he born an Israelite, but he was born of the tribe of Benjamin. Now somebody would say, well, why is that such a big deal? Because Benjamin was the only son of Jacob born in the promised land. And so it would kind of be like, you know, uh, and it was such a big deal that if they had like a military parade or something, the tribe of Benjamin always went first. They were always put out front. They were the most kind of special tribe because, because this, that son had been born in the promised land. And so it would be a little bit like saying I'm an American. But not only am I American, I, I'm an American who I can trace my, my ancestry right back to the Mayflower. It's kind of, kind of prestigious. And so Paul says, that's who I am. I was, I was born into this context. And, and then he says, you know, I've, I've got credentials. I got achievements. I, I'm, I'm a Pharisee. I'm part of the cultural and religious elite. And people would have known that that meant he had achieved such great education that he had memorized pretty much the entire Old Testament. At, he was part of this group that at, at no given time were there ever more than about 300 Pharisees. And so he was part of this very, very elite, religious and political, uh, very powerful group of people. Paul says, that's me. I was, I was one of those. And then he goes on and says, on top of that, I kept all the rules and regulations. All the resolutions. And somebody say, well, okay, there's a list of Ten Commandments. He kept those. Good for him. No. Not only did he keep all the Ten Commandments, he also kept all the other Old Testament law. And on top of that, the Pharisees had another list 
another list of 613 resolutions. Paul said, I kept all of those. I, I, I've kept all of those. And some of them were about minutia in life, just really dumb things. For instance, one of the, one of the 613 laws said this, if a flea bites you on the Sabbath, you cannot scratch because that would be work. You couldn't, you couldn't kill the flea and you can't, you can't scratch because that'll be work. Paul said, I've been bit on the Sabbath, didn't scratch. Uh, one, of, one of the rules was you, you can't eat an egg laid by a chicken on the Sabbath. I know that sounds like a joke, you know, starting a joke. But you can't eat an egg laid by a chicken on the Sabbath. Paul said, never had any poached, poached Sabbath eggs. Check. You know, all, all these kinds of crazy little, little laws kinds of things. Paul said, I kept all of those. I kept, I kept the Old Testament. I kept the 613. I did them all. Kept all those resolutions. And one of the, the, the things that's so easy even for Christ followers to get into this time of the year is to, is to begin coming up with looking at our regrets and then coming up with these lists of things like Paul had, these resolutions to help us overcome the, these regrets. Like, you know, I look back and I wasn't very generous. I wasn't very faithful in my giving. Or I wasn't very prayerful. Or I wasn't kind. And, and we start coming up with all these resolutions of what we're going to do out of our own strength. Things we're going to accomplish in 2019. And Paul says, okay, let me show you, show you what I've done. Been there, got the t-shirt. So Paul does that and then Paul says, now let me tell you what all that means to me now. Here's what it all means to me now. Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. He said, all that stuff for me is like garbage. The, the word that he uses there is the word scubala. And it literally means excrement. I mean, that, that's, that's what it means. Paul says... I think about all my accomplishments. I look at all my legalistic acts. I look at all the hard work I did to keep my resolutions. And I kept them all. All rubbish. They're, they're just, they're all rubbish. And I think of them that way in order that I may gain Christ. And that I may be found in Him. And so now Paul says, so here's what's important now. He goes on to say, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law... Not having a righteousness that's rooted in resolutions or self-discipline or flesh. Not that kind of righteousness. But, he says, a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then Paul gives this one incredible declaration in verse 10. And I love the way he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I love the way the New Living Translation says it. I want to know Christ. And experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. So Paul talks to this church and he says, Many of you are settling for this brand of Christianity. This, this you know, that calls you to live this self-righteous life of your own determination out of your own flesh. You know, kind of look what I can do. Look what I can accomplish. 
You know, it's kind of like these New Year's resolutions made in a spirit of the flesh. And Paul says, I'm not settling for that kind of relationship. I am not settling for that kind of faith. Paul says, I want a righteousness that doesn't come from me. I want a righteousness that comes from God. And, and, and from God alone. And that's what Paul is working out here in this letter. And he does this in all of his writings. In fact, all of the New Testament writers do this. And just like the other New Testament writers, Paul is constantly calling people to holy living. To a standard. He, he, it's not that he doesn't have a standard by which we should grow. But he doesn't call us to make these changes just through behavior modification. He's not, he's not saying, you know, well, you need to start doing this and this and this and this. He's, he's not saying that. He calls them to only make these changes through a relationship that's personal. A relationship with Jesus. He doesn't call people to long lists of rules or regulations or resolutions. He just calls them to Jesus. He calls people to change, but not through this spirit of kind of individual determination. It's not a, you know, you can do it halftime New Year's speech. It's, it's not that. What he's calling them to is complete dependence on the living spirit of God to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. And some of you have lived and are living in a faith where you have tried year after year after year. And, and it's failed you. It, it, it has just failed you. What you've tried year after year after year to do. And you end up being frustrated. And you end up being bitter. And you end up with feelings of self-loathing. And, and it just wrecks you. And you don't. So much so that you're saying. I, I don't try anymore. I, I just all those. I don't try anymore. I, I, I give up. And what Paul is saying is, because so often you've done that out of, a, out of a righteousness that comes from you. Righteousness, he says, can only come from God through an intimate personal relationship with God. So here's what I want, here's what I want to do for a moment as an illustration. And I'm, you're going to have to imagine with me, okay? You're going to have to use your sanctified imaginations for just a second. And um, so I want you to imagine this way. I, I, and I, I need to go ahead and confess something. I'm going to compare, well, I'll do that in a minute. I'll, do, I'll, I'll confess in a minute. I want you to imagine this. Imagine that you are going to have a, a day that you set aside as errand day. Got a lot of errands you got to get done, so you're going to set aside one whole day as errand day. And so you start your list so that you can be, you know, really strategic about errand day because you got a lot to get done. So you need a broom. So you write down, go to a hardware store, get a broom. And, and then you know that you're going to need some food, so you're going to have to go to the grocery store. So you write down what, what food you need, and, and you say grocery store. And you, you realize, you know, you need some, you're having a party soon, and so you need some unscented candles because people with allergies may show up. But, you know, so you, you need some candles burning, so you write down, go to the candle store. And you need an HDMI cable for the new TV you got. And so you write down, you know, go to Best Buy. And, and you, you, you know you need to get your, a lube job on the car. So you write down, go to Jiffy Lube. I was corrected. I was supposed to say another company. And um, I think it was Christ Brothers or so. What, what's the name of it? Christian Brothers. or so. Anyway, I messed up in the first service. So I'm correcting myself. The, um, uh, you go there. Uh, you know, you, you, you have all these list of things that you want to get on Aaron Day and you write them all down and all these things you know and so Aaron Day comes and you're you start you get up you know that morning and you you start going to all these places and 
how do you imagine you're going to feel by the end of that day? I would be exhausted just from driving in this traffic alone, you know, or waiting in lines at stores. You know, it would just, it would wear me out. So what would be a better plan? What could we do differently on errand day? Did somebody say Walmart? You could go to Walmart. You can get your car lubed. You can get your HDMI cable. You can get it all at Walmart. Okay, so this is, what, this is where my sin's coming in. I'm about to compare Jesus to Walmart. Okay, so just, just know it. I don't mean it, but just, just go with it for just a minute. Okay? Here's what Paul is saying so many people live their faith like. I need to get me some patience so you try to go here. I need to get me some, some kindness so, so I try to go here. I, I, I try to do all these other things. I try to accomplish all this stuff in, in my life. I need some self-control, you know, so I, I write that down. I, 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 need, I need to be more generous. I write that down. I need to, to exercise more and eat better. I, I, I write this down. I need to be the spiritual head of my family. I, I write that. I need not to lose my patience with my kids. I write that down. And so I end up with this list of I'm gonna and I need and I want. And that becomes my Christian experience. That becomes my faith journey. And so what do we do? Well, we start out at the gate and we're, we got it going on and we're kind of moving along pretty good. You know, things are going okay. And then, then that one day comes and I blow something. And it slips away. And I don't get it done. And, and I fail. And I get frustrated with the people around me because they don't even know I got a list. But I'm frustrated with them because they're not helping me with my list. You know? And, and, and I get tired and I get discouraged and it doesn't work so I give up here's Paul's advice to you just go to Jesus just go to, to Jesus just follow Jesus just live in a love relationship with Jesus just know Jesus and experience his power and Paul says if you'll do that if that will be your resolve then you will start to see these other things changing. You will grow in righteousness that comes from God, not from your own flesh, not from resolutions. Now, he's not talking about religion. He's not talking about, yeah, you just come to church a couple of times a month and, you know, follow these rules and righteousness will come. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about a personal, intimate, relational experience with Jesus. And he says that when we do this, we will grow in holiness. We will grow in God's righteousness. We'll begin to see ourselves becoming who he has envisioned us to be. I love the way the message paraphrases this section of Philippians. You can read it with me here. It says this. The very credentials these people were waving around as something special. I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master. Firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant dog dung. 
I've dumped it all in the trash so that I can embrace Christ and be embraced by Him. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ. God's righteousness. And I believe this is what God's Word is saying here today. Is don't settle from some petty, inferior brand of Christianity. In fact, I believe this is kind of the big idea that I want to put forward for you for 2019. And it's simply this. Do not settle for a petty, inferior brand of Christianity. Don't settle for that. Don't settle for this brand of Christianity that comes by rules and regulations and resolutions. Don't settle for that. But instead, live with this one great resolve. Just one great resolve. To know Christ. To know Jesus. To experience Him, His love, and experience His power. To know Him that way. And that means this. If you have regrets, write them down. Put them on a list. If you have resolutions, write them down. Put them on a list. And then wad them up and throw them away. Set them on fire. And instead, resolve. Resolve to know Jesus and experience His power. Instead of living with resolutions and regrets, live with this one resolve. This is what Paul said he did. Love Jesus. Just love Jesus and experience the love of Jesus. Paul goes on in this letter to define what this resolve kind of looks like. He says this, I focus on one thing. Just one thing, forgetting the past, as Philippians chapter 3 verse 13, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Paul says this is the resolve that I live by. I forget the regret. I toss it. He said I just push hard toward what's ahead. I just push hard to be obedient to what God's calling me to do. Whether it's, you know, to be obedient. Nothing else matters. And so Paul, Paul speaks of this kind of resolve that I think, I think most of us long for. Most of us, most of us desire. Now, if it would have been difficult for anybody to live with that kind of resolve, it would have been difficult for Paul in his circumstances. Some, some people would say, but you don't know my circumstances. Well, Paul is writing about his resolve from prison. And most likely, Paul at this time was chained to a Roman guard all the time. And Paul was in prison, he believed, awaiting a trial that would lead to his execution. And Paul is, in that context, those are his circumstances, Paul is writing about what resolve he has. And I believe most of us want to follow Jesus that way. Most of us want to know Christ and want to experience his power. But we do the resolution thing. Trying to overcome our regrets. And we get discouraged and we give up. Because mostly what we make our faith about is rules. Not about a relationship. We make it about rules. And we get discouraged so easily when our circumstances... You know, many of us decide, I'm going to be more joyful this year. And then the flu hits your house. And that goes out the window. You know? M many of us, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be more, I'm going to be more free and disciplined at the same time with my finances. And December's credit card bill shows up. 
You know, I, 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 we get a week into, you know, what we're going to do with our diet and it's blown. We, we, all these kinds of things. We raise our voice at our spouse or our kids. We just, we, we do all these things. And the Apostle Paul would look at you and say, quit focusing on accomplishing those things and focus on Jesus. Look to Jesus. Experience the love of Jesus. Start asking him in those moments for his power. Start praying, just as saying, Jesus, I can't do this. I need you. Now, there are a few things, habits that you can put around your resolve that will help you live that out. For instance, this. This is a good start. Re recognize the value of each other. Recognize the value of being a part of people who, who have the same resolve. Who are trying to live the same way. Who want, who want that kind of relationship with Jesus. One of the things if you go back and you study Philippians chapter 3 that you'll notice is on three different occasions in that one chapter Paul uses a phrase. In ESV it gets translated to brothers I think. In NIV I think it's uh, brothers and sisters. But it's basically this. Paul recognizes that he's going to live out this resolve in the context of, of community. And he's writing to this church at Philippi and he feels like he calls them brothers and sisters. He's living out his resolve in community even though he's hundreds of miles away from them. He's separated from them. He feels a part of community. And if you want to live out that resolve, one of the things that you need to recognize is the power that community can, can, can add to that. I love that wise saying that says, if you, know, if you run on fast, do it alone. But if you want to make it far, do it together. Because we need each other. And maybe, maybe part of your resolve needs to engage more with people. Maybe it needs to be not just a group this big, but a group, a group smaller. That's why every so often we invite you to be a part of this church. Some of you are not a part of this church. You've never made a commitment to be a part of a church family. You know? And we're not a perfect family. I mean, my goodness, look who they let on the stage. You know? We're not perfect. But we do love one another. We do care for one another. We're there for each other in crisis. And in two weeks, we're going we're gonna to do Exploring Church Membership. And you can, you know, take that step to build into your resolve. And here's what I would, here's what resolve would look like. Resolve doesn't look like make a note to self and, and, and think about going to that. Resolve would be today, pull out a connection card and, and sign up for Exploring Church membership two weeks from now. Resolve would be stopping by the Welcome Center and signing up. That, that would be what resolve would look like. You would, you would take that step. You would resolve to do that. You know, one of the other things that I think God has been doing at our church this, this past year is he's been helping us grow in prayer, our focus on prayer and, and praying for each other. I just love the way people stop and pray for one another. It's just so awesome to see that, that happening more and more and more. But some of, some of us need to continue to grow in that because prayer is the way we communicate and experience the love of Jesus in our lives is, is being with him. And so often prayer has become this thing that we start and feel like we fail at and we get discouraged by. And I just want to say one of the reasons that that happens is because we don't block off time and we don't have a plan. And I just want to encourage you. You want to resolve? Get yourself a plan and put it on your calendar to spend time with Jesus a little bit every day. 
That, that will help you live out this resolve of wanting to, to know Him and experience His power. Another encouragement that I would give you is this. Put some predetermined actions in place. Just put some predetermined... What you predetermine through action, you will accomplish. If you just go ahead and do something. Do something to get that resolve moving. Some of you, this, you know, this, every year it's about finances. And you want to be more faithful in your giving and giving back to God's what is His and getting on top of your finances. And I want to say one of the ways to start those habits today, instead of, you know, writing down a resolution and then regretting it and failing at it, maybe today before you leave the parking lot, you go onto River Bluff's website and you sign up for online giving so that it, it doesn't, it's not about how you feel or what's happening in your circumstances. You're doing it. You just, you're, you're giving automatically. You have predetermined that this is what I'm going to do. And you start doing it today. To live out of the resolve that you long for. So that you don't live with regrets. And you don't keep making resolutions that, that fail you and you fail at. So you want to experience, you want to follow Jesus and experience him. I want to close today with, um, with, with a little just real life story um, some of you have been encouraged by this I know I have been personally encouraged by the life of a guy by the name of William Borden um, he lived in the 1800's and uh, William Borden was heir to the Borden Milk Company fortune which you know today is a billion dollar industry and um, when William was born he was basically a multimillionaire and he you know he was born into that kind of family uh, when he graduated from high school, his parents sent him on a round-the-world excursion, a trip. And uh, they gave him a Bible for his graduation and this, this round-the-world trip. And so while William was on this round-the-world trip, he was in Asia some and Europe some. And one of the things that kept happening was he kept encountering people groups that had never heard the name of Jesus. Knew nothing about the grace of God. And so while on this excursion, William came to understand that God had called him to missions. That God had called him to go to these unreached peoples and, to, and take the good news of Jesus. And so he comes back home and, you know, he tells his parents that that's, that's what he's going to do. And he had written two words in his Bible the day that he kind of solidified that call. And in the front of his Bible, he wrote two words and the words were no reserves. No reserves. And what he was saying there is, I'm not going to hold anything back. Everything that I have is, belongs to God. I'm, I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm, I'm going to be all in. Everything belongs to him. Well, when he got back and his dad found out about this decision, his dad said, that's fine, but what you need to do is you need to go to school and you need to complete your education. And so William registered for school at Yale University. And he gets to Yale and when he gets there, he finds out that most of the students there don't share his passion for Jesus. And so he finds one other believer and these two people start having Bible study and prayer together. And then over time, a few others are added. So that by the time the beginning of William's senior year, there are over a thousand students that are now engaged in daily Bible study together in prayer. And revival breaks out on Yale's campus. Just an incredible thing. 
And William leads a movement to start a ministry in the community of New Haven for the homeless and the poor. And uh, he begins this, this new ministry. It's called Yale Hope Mission. And he starts that. He funds it personally. They begin to, to work to rehabilitate those who, are, who have addictions to things like alcoholism. And while William's in his senior year at school, his father dies. And his father had left him a significant portion of the family fortune. And suddenly the family starts putting pressure on William that after his graduation that he would come and help the family business. And so now he's got this decision to make. Do I go do what my family expects or do I do what I, this commitment that I made? And so William writes something else in his Bible. Two more words. No retreat. No retreat. And what he was saying there is, I'm not turning back. I, I've made this decision. I am going to follow Jesus wherever he, he takes me. Wherever he goes. And he knew that Jesus was calling him to these unreached people groups. But before going to China, which where he had settled that God wanted him, uh, he went to, went to Egypt to learn the Arabic language because there were many Muslims in this part of China and he wanted to be able to share the gospel with them. So he goes to Egypt to learn Arabic and while in Egypt, he contracts spinal meningitis. And at the age of 25, William Borden dies from spinal meningitis and he's buried in Cairo. And there were a lot of people that looked at that and said, what a waste. He wasted all this money that he had. He, he blew his missionary career by going to Egypt. He should have just gone straight to, to China, you know. He, he, he just blew it. This guy who had sparked a revival on the university campus of Yale. This, this guy who had reached out to hundreds of homeless uh, and, and addicts. This guy who now, whose life has inspired thousands, literally, uh, ministers and missionaries who are on the field. He didn't feel that way about it. Because he had written two more words in the front of his Bible shortly before he died. And those words were no regret. No regret. Friends, what we have to do is we... We need to take our regrets. We need to take our resolutions. And instead of trying to live those out in our flesh, we need to live with one great resolve. To know Christ and to experience His power. Instead of living with your resolutions and regrets, resolve in 2019 this year, I am going to live. I'm going to live with... Resolved. Now, there are three things that I want to encourage you from the story of William that you may have to say no to in order to live with resolve. You're going to have to say no to reserves. You're going to have to say, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm not going to do it halfway. I'm not holding anything back from you. You call me, I'm going. No retreat. Whatever, wherever you lead me, Jesus, I'll follow. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to retreat. I'm not going to turn back from a call that you... And, and you're going to have to live with no regrets. You can't live in, in the past. And I just want to encourage you maybe to, to make that your prayer this year. It's Jesus, I want to, I want to know you. I want to know, I want to know you. I, I want, God, I want righteousness that comes from you, not from me. I want to experience your power. Maybe live out of that for 2019 and let's see what happens. 
to us individually and us as a people. Let's pray. If you're somebody that's wanting to take that step to live with resolve, to follow Jesus, not just privately but publicly, and you want to be baptized today, if you just head for the living room right now, we can make that happen. Jesus, we come right now. We come giving you thanks for your goodness. We come determined not to make resolutions that are born out of regret. But to live as the wise men did with resolve. When we hear from you, we just go do. To live as Paul lived with one great resolve. Just to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And we know that as we do that, Lord, we will find ourselves growing in righteousness. Growing in all of those areas that we feel so empty in. Growing in generosity. Growing in humility. Growing in self-control. So Jesus, we come. We come now to worship you. To give back to you that which is yours and tithes. To give offerings to you. To give you ourselves. We come. We come in your name. Name above every other name. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.